Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome and thanks for hanging out with us. Today we're chatting with someone at the top of their category, an elite entrepreneur. We're going to talk about learning from failure with Max James. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about the disconnect at the top. Yeah, that's right, disconnect. There is a disconnect at the top for small business CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners. And I'm going to tell you more about that later on. Now, in interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people at the top of their category, one point has become very clear to me. All of these people have had to deal with adversity, pitfalls, tumbles, disasters, and the like. We've spoken to people, they've been homeless, they've, been, they've had failure after failure, and yet they climbed up. They all went to the top of their game, the top of their category, whom I call an elite entrepreneur. So how do we do that? How do we bounce back? How do we shift? How do we make this happen? Is there any business that's perfect from inception? Is there such a thing as a cakewalk? In my entire career, I think I've met one person who had his entire life handed to him when he was young. But aside from that, everybody else had to work. And yes, no matter how well we plan things, there are impeding issues that come up that are completely out of our control. For example, my lead generation business was beset with rules and protocols that took my business down to its knees, even though my revenue was in the seven digits. So we have some items to learn here. And while we're at it, this is really important, folks. This is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at dealing with and beating setbacks and failures. I want you to meet Max James. He's an Air Force Academy graduate and rescue pilot, and he was shot down in Vietnam twice. He's the original founder and CEO of American Kiosk Management, billion-dollar global presence in America, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand with 5 million repeat customers, 1,000 automated stores, and 54,000 employees. That is quite something. His latest book is called The Harder I Fall, The Higher I Bounce. That says it all. Let's get into it. Hi, Max. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thank you, Tony. Mighty proud to be here. Thank you. The honor is all mine. We're all looking forward to learning from failure. And the most intriguing thing, which I've just mentioned here in the intro, Max, you were shot down in Vietnam, not once, but twice. Can you please <laughs> tell us, what's your backstory? Uh, yeah, I was shot down twice. Uh, I've won some awards for being a great helicopter rescue pilot. Uh, and I've said to the people, I don't know how great I was. I mean, I got shot down twice. Uh, how good is that? No, it was. Uh, uh, when we graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1964, gives you some idea how old I am and how many failures I probably had. 1964, we graduated, went to pilot training, and went to war. So depending on your attitude, that was either good news or bad news, but that's the way it worked. And I had the best mission in the Air Force. Our job was to bring pilots home after they had been shot down. So I was stationed in Laos. By the way, before there was a war in Laos, so we were affiliated with the CIA and Air America. 
we were stationed on the ground about 71 miles from Hanoi. And so when the fighters went in to bomb or uh, reconnaissance uh, North Vietnam, we would join them at the border. Obviously, in a helicopter, you're not flying as fast as a jet fighter. So we would join them at the border. And when they went in, we went in behind them. And if they got shot down, it was our job to bring them home. So uh, I got lucky. I brought home 10 guys. And uh, uh, a lot of one guy sent me a case of scotch every Christmas for years because we brought those guys home from three choices, Tony. There was the Hanoi Hilton. There was death, of course, in the marches uh, to the POW camps. Or there was me. And so I was a pretty good third choice. Uh, we did a lot of uh, a lot of briefing with those pilots. We got to know them really well. We spent a lot of time at the officers club, at the bar. I might tell you, celebrating when we came uh, brought home uh, somebody. Uh, so that was the mission, and the mission of the air rescue service is that others may live, that others may live, and that was uh, that was our mission. And so it didn't matter whether it was a brush fire, World War Five. It didn't matter. Our job was to bring these guys home. So they could spend the rest of their lives with their family, with their children, with their wives, and in a career in the Air Force or in the, in the commercial world of, of feather merchants. So it was a great mission. Uh, how did it happen that I got shot down? And then we don't need to go into those two stories unless we have time and you want to. But by and large, um, I was rescuing uh, a pilot that had uh, been shot down, was on a mountain. We couldn't get him because of the fire, ground fire and, and uh, weather and so forth. And so we had to leave him there overnight. <clears throat> we went back to Laos, did everything we could to make it possible to be able to reach him the next morning. We went over there and he was alive. He was still running from the bad guys all night long. And we were able to get in and, and get him out of there. Now, here's the bad news. So we're on the way home. He's excited. We're excited. We've saved another uh, pilot. And we get back into Laos and uh, my crew chief calls and said, Captain James, we have an oil leak. Now in a helicopter, there are two kinds of oil leaks. There is the engine oil leak and we had two jets. There's the transmission oil leak. If you have a transmission that stops on a helicopter, that big fan on the top, it quits running and you have the glide ratio of a rock. So obviously, suddenly my throat was full of stuff coming out of my stomach. And uh, I said, tell me, please, that it's an engine oily. Sir, I'm sorry. It's the transmission. <clears throat> How bad is it? It's pouring. So I call Saigon, Mayday. I got to get this helicopter on the ground before that fan quits turning. And then uh, the response was, stand by. Stand by. You got to be kidding. I, you know, I'm going to. So uh, they called back shortly and said, we have some coordinates for you. It's a village uh, in Laos. We think it's friendly. <laughs> you think? <laughs> so at any rate, uh, we smashed down basically what I call a Navy landing. You just dr fly it into the ground because it didn't want that fan to stop. And it was like, uh, Tony, I'll quit telling all these stories, but it was like an old Western movie. Okay. There's this dirt street. There's these huts, cabins, huts on both sides of the street. Not a soul in sight. So now it's like uh, on the far end of the street, two people come out. Now it's like the gunfight at OK Corral. 
Who are these? Are they friendly? They're walking toward the helicopter, and one of them is carrying something. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what it is. So the pair rescue a troop, and I, him with an M16 and me with a little 45, we're going to defend our helicopter and the crew that's on the helicopter. At about, I said to the PJ, then they just keep coming. So here's what we're going to do. At about 40 yards or something, drop them, because I don't know if that's a bomb they're carrying or what. So at about, I don't know, 50 yards or something, they stop. And one was carrying something that had a cloth over it. And boy, the hairs on the back of my neck went straight up. And I, this is it. This is the tipping point, right? And then one guy reaches over and he pulls that cloth off of what he was carrying. And it was hot tea. It was a friendly village. <laughs> but so, you didn't shoot him. <laughs> or else the village would have suddenly not been very friendly, I suspect, don't you? <laughs> so anyway, that was the mission. And air rescue organizations, most decorated uh, outfit in, uh, in the entire Vietnam War uh, because of the mission that we were fortunate enough to, and honored to be able to fly. Well, I'm sure I cannot say enough superlatives of how incredible a story that is. I've read a few books in the past. Louis L'Amour, I think of, the sure. pilot that shot down in Siberia. Yeah. Two eggs on my plate, but that's going way, way, way back. <laughs> different, different times of shot down. Very, very exciting. I could do the whole show on that. But we are entrepreneurs here in... There's probably some groans out there going, I want to hear the rest of the story. Well, we'll pick up a little bit more on this. But I did want to cover some key points, Max, if all right okay. with you. Sure. We haven't even gone over all of that story, but just a little bit of a juxtaposition. You went from that, you could have stayed in, in the military, you could have done anything. You went into the kiosk industry. And I'm curious, how did you get from there to there? And I mean, you've, you, you really nailed it in the kiosk industry. You have a billion dollar company there. How did, how did you wind up going there? Well, it's a, it's a long story, uh, a story of a lot of failures and uh, fortunately some, some successes. Uh, yeah, I left the, uh, the Air Force and uh, went to Stanford, picked up an MBA, went to wor work for the world's richest man, learned an awful lot uh, about business, uh, various businesses from the movie industry, real estate, banking, a whole bunch of things that we were involved in. It was a great experience. I uh, was on a 195-foot yacht of his in uh, Malaga, uh, Mallorca, and uh, we had been out uh, to sea, and we came back in. And I'm standing up on what I call the poop deck. It's where all the antennas are up on top of these yachts, and pigeons and, and seagulls all land. And out in the water are Westerners like me and a madras shirt and, and short Bermuda shorts and straw hats. On those paddle boats, you know the ones I'm talking about? And they're waving at this big yacht coming into port, and I'm up there like it's my boat, all right? Saluting them, waving back, and it hit me. I absolutely had an epiphany. I have lost my perspective. I'm on this boat like it's mine. I'm flying in, in the richest man 737 around all these different countries like it's my airplane. It probably costs more per day to operate that yacht than I was paid in a year. So I've lost my perspective. To shorten the story, I resigned, uh, went back, and uh, went into real estate as an entrepreneur, 
uh, did quite well in several of those. Uh, the recession of 08 hit the housing industry really badly. I thought I was going to go bankrupt. Fortunately, I did not. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But I continued on and, and I was invited into the nutritional supplement industry. And in that industry, there was a company that my lawyer suggested I go interview with. They were looking for a CEO. I told my lawyer, I'm not looking for a job. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I went anyway. And they were selling their weight management product, not only as a multi-level marketing company, but they allowed their distributors to sell at retail on these carts in shopping malls down the hallway. And I said, I don't think I'd be interested in, you know, how much could it cost to get in that and how much money could you make? This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about learning from failure with Max James. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Did you know that according to the CDC, one person dies every 36 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease and that one in four deaths is attributable to heart disease? So if you're not taking your heart health seriously, you need to act now. And now you can take an all-natural daily supplement that not only helps protect your heart from free radicals and helps boost athletic performance as well. It's a brand new specially formulated supplement with a powerful blend of essential nutrients, antioxidants, and botanicals to optimize your heart health naturally. Snap Supplements Heart Health is loaded with naturally grown herbs and nutrients that work in partnership with you to help keep your heart healthy and performance strong. I've been trying it out for well over a month now, maybe two months by now, and I got to tell you what I did, and I'm still doing now. I, I used to take a number of supplements for all sorts of good reasons, probably the same as you, including green drinks. And I really wanted to see and feel the effectiveness of SNAP. So I set everything else aside and I just took that with a few minor items. Again, I'm just saying what I did. And the result is I feel great. I'm full of energy. My brain feels sharp. That's a really good thing. And I'm sure my heart and blood are doing just fine. SNAP Supplements is offering my listeners a 10% discount on their first purchase by using the link SNAP cardio.com slash d-u-r-s-o that's s-n-a-p-c-a-r-d-i-o dot com slash d-u-r-s-o try it out your body will thank you snapcardio.com slash d-u-r-s-o you're listening to the tony d'urso show with special vip guests now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about learning from failure with Max James. And join my weekly newsletter, it's really short, and get news about our elite entrepreneurs right to your inbox. It's simple, informative, it's all about helping you take your business to the next level. Go to Tony, D-U-R-S-O, Dot com and click on the newsletter icon. And did I say it's short and to the point? Okay. And now back to the chat with Max. So they told me it was cost you about $5,000 to get 
one of those started way back then. And uh, they said, we're, uh, the carts are making about $10,000 profit. And I laughed. I said, you're telling me I can put $5,000 up and make $10,000 a year, double my money. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. That's $10,000 a month. Well, now I said, look, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. They said, well, why don't you go check them out? I did. And guess what? They were making at least $10,000 a month. So I started into that business, malls and carts. And uh, I think I got up to 84, making more than $10,000 a month selling this product. That company eventually was sold off to a farmer. That's another whole long story. But I liked that business. It was a cookie cutter business. If you can develop one business, one cart operating in a mall, if you can do a dozen of those, you can do a dozen, dozen. They're just cookie cutters. So the thing that we brought to that business was the ability to manage remote locations that only had one manager and two other people that were part-time. How do you keep them from stealing from you? How do you manage those people? How do you train those people? We developed that business and uh, became the world's largest owner-operated cart and kiosk business, which is why Fortune magazine referred to me as the king of kiosks. Uh, we did really well and eventually built up a, a billion-eight uh, business. Yeah. So that's kind of the leapfrog as to how I got there with all these failures in between. We're talking about learning from failure with Max James, and you can find him at maxjamesauthor.com. So let's spell that M-A-X-J-A-M-E-S-A-U-T-H-O-R.com, maxjamesauthor.com. Thank you, Max, it's, it's tough for me because I, I'm a, I used to be more of a voracious reader. I still think I'm a good reader. I can't stop but go back to Vietnam on that story. So, <laughs> so maybe it's a little tease to the audience. We talked a little bit about the business. I'm just think, getting this in my brain. You're shot okay. from the skies the first time in Vietnam. Now, when you're shot down, I mean, we all believe, we're all told, you're excused from flying in combat. You, you don't have to fly. You, you get a vacation. What made you want to go back again? I think it's the mission. I think it's the mission. It, it was just such a great purpose to be able to bring guys home that were facing those three choices, death. Uh, we had trained well. Uh, I've been uh, often asked, how did you have the courage to go into enemy fire, to hover and just sit there like a sitting duck while they were shooting at you and so forth? So the answer is the courage comes. I think the mother of courage is training. So when time came and you were called to go in, you just did it. You just turned to all the things you had been taught, all the things that you had learned, and you just did it. You just went in and did all the things that you knew how to do, and hopefully you would do them well. And hopefully the circumstances surrounding your going in would be okay, and, and you would come out a winner. So it was the mission. It was the mission. Uh, were you afraid before they called you in? Absolutely. I mean, you, the fear just disappeared because what you replaced it with was training, preparation. These are the same things that entrepreneurs have to do. You have to train. You have to hone your skills. You have to be willing to take risk. 
big risk in the case of a lot of entrepreneurial ventures and just do it. Just do what you want. If you think you want to be an entrepreneur, that's not good enough. You have to know that you're willing to face failure. You have to know that failure is a great way to learn how to do it better next time. And that's what the harder I fall, the higher I bounce really says. Okay. Every time, every single time in my career that I have fallen, failed, moved on to the next deal, I have bounced higher. It has been better. Sometimes I fail that second, third, or fourth times, but each time I learn. And so I learned a lot more from my failures than I did my successes. No question about it. No question about it. And the same is true of flying. Every time we didn't get a guy, we got shot up pretty badly. We had to leave or we landed in strange places. Uh, I learned something, learned something that I hopefully wouldn't do wrong next time or perhaps could do a lot better. It sounds like it's a process of being, in a way, self-aware and conscious of all the factors and how one, in going Same through it again, how one could do it better. How, how could I make this happen? I think we all go through that a lot. We, a lot of us, I think, not necessarily everybody, we have that luxury of we can go back and take a look and go, what did I do wrong here? And I, I, I do speak with quite a lot of people who've made it despite all that. But yours is, yours is very unique in that when you have failed, you have solved that issue, if that's the right way, or, or, or found another way to approach and attack it and come out even bigger, better, badder, if I could say it that way. Even though you may fail again, you still would, you just, you kept on. Is there some, is there some strong purpose or some passion here? It's like, because you literally could have gone and do anything. People, when they fail, don't necessarily go back in the same industry. What kept you going all the time? The first one is survival. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you put all of your assets, financial assets, all of your energy into building a business and it fails, First of all, it's not always your fault. And that's one of the chapters that I write about. It ain't always your fault, okay? The government changes the rules. Uh, you're a distributor and the company sells the company to somebody else in a foreign country and all the rules change. It's not always your fault. By the way, I should tell everyone, it's not just in business that these principles are important. When you fail in a relationship, when you fail in a journey of some other sort, when you have family that goes off the track, those are failures and they're tough to bounce back from, but you do it for a purpose. And that's a lot of the principles that I think that Jack Canfield said, these principles don't apply just to business, Max. They apply to people's personal lives. So in any event, uh, survival is number one reason for bouncing back. I got to eat. Uh, I got to pay the mortgage on this house. I got to send my kids to college, whatever it is, all the other things in your life besides just business. So survival is number one. Secondly, sometimes I'm just mad. How did I make that mistake? I should never have hired that person. I didn't check their character. You know, one of the principles is hire for character, train for skills. I don't care if the guy's the smartest guy in the world, if he's a, a crook or a cheat or a thief, okay, then you've made a mistake. Hire for character. And you can train the skills that you need at certain levels. Okay. So the second thing is anger. I'm just mad at myself, maybe even mad at the world. And I'm going to show you, I can do this. And so it's grit. It's resilience. It's perseverance. 
those three things, if you have them, if you don't have them, don't go into the business of being an entrepreneur. If you don't have to do this business, then don't. You become a great entrepreneur when you've got to do it. I, if I don't do this, I'm a, I've got to do it. So those were the things that caused me to go back into it. And I think from a financial standpoint, Tony, I wanted financial independence. I came from a farm. We were sharecroppers in Tennessee. And I wore flower sacks uh, to school as shirts to school and overalls. And I rode a horse to school for a period of time. So I wanted financial independence. And that was a that was a good goal. I also wanted to give back. My culture was one of giving back. And I was able to do that by becoming a, a successful entrepreneur, was able to create a foundation, was able to help build a building for character and leadership at the Air Force Academy and a whole bunch of other things. Doesn't matter. But it was extremely satisfying to have that goal and to make it. Max, I want to get into some topics of your book, like resilience, leadership. <laughs> but before I do, you yeah. wrote this book. And I'm just thinking, okay, you've been shot down a few times. When, where, take us to the moment when you go, I should write this in a book. I should put this all out there. When you're successful and a lot of people have contributed to your success, one way to recognize that is to tell the story of the help that you received. And so you feel, in some sense, I think, an obligation. There is a, a verse uh, in the greatest book ever written that said, um, and enlarge my territory. It's a prayer. Enlarge my territory. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about learning from failure with Max James. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey guys, you know this, being a pet parent is a huge responsibility. Since our pets can't talk, we do our best to understand what's going on. But knowing something's up with them or their health and not understanding why is one of the greatest challenges of pet parenthood. And enter Fuzzy. Fuzzy is a telehealth service for pet parents and it offers 24-7 access to personalized pet care from veterinary professionals. Yes, that's right. How great is that? From everyday questions to middle-of-the-night emergencies, Fuzzy has the answers that pet parents need through live chat and virtual vet consultations available to you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Fuzzy can answer all your pet questions, big, small, urgent, and every day. I really like this. And Fuzzy can also recommend the exact right product for your pet, all of which are hand-picked by their established team of veterinary professionals and available at discounts exclusive to Fuzzy members like you. From getting your pet's diet just right to meeting their middle-of-the-night needs to finally figuring out maybe what makes their breast smell that way, there's nothing too big or too small for a quick Fuzzy call. And right now, Fuzzy is offering our listeners a free seven-day trial membership. Go to yourfuzzy.com slash D-U-R-S-O today to sign up. That's a free seven-day trial and access to exclusive member discounts on pet meds, supplements, 
food, and more at Y-O-U-R-F-U-Z-Z-Y dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. Again, yourfuzzy.com slash D-U-R-S-O for your free trial of Fuzzy with access to 24-7 personalized pet care and vet-recommended products. And you know this, your pets are going to thank you so much for that. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Erso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about learning from failure with Max James. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, dot com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Max. I never thought that meant buy more land or more apartment or whatever. I always thought it meant my sphere of influence. And so it became a line out of Genesis that uh, impacted my life for quite some time and called the prayer of Jabez. Uh, a lot of your audience are probably familiar with it. But that second line says, and increase uh, my territory. So that was one reason I I felt obligated to do so. I wanted to increase my sphere of influence. The other reason was, like Mark Twain, I'm not comparing myself to his success, but I like to tell stories. I'm just an old storyteller. I think that came from my country uh, living before we had anything but an old radio. You told stories around the stove Pot, uh, pot stove at the local general store or wherever. So people, as I had all these experiences, Tony, that were working for the world's richest man and going to all these places and building these companies and meeting celebrities and so forth, I'd tell these stories. And people would say, gee, Max, you ought to write a book. And yeah, so eventually, I, when I retired, I sold the company uh, to Nestle, the last company. And I thought, you know, what the heck am I going to do? I'm bored to death. I'm 80 years old now. There's only so much you can do. And so I said, uh, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. And I talked to people like Canfield who said, yeah, go ahead and write the book. And so I did. But it took me three years uh, to do it. And uh, But it's done. And hopefully the purpose will be achieved. The purpose was to help particularly entrepreneurs not make all the mistakes that I did, to do things more successfully than I did by telling the stories. And each story has a principle that I hope will be beneficial to entrepreneurs and also other people. Thank you for explaining that. Because I, So that's, that's just m- much more recent than back then after getting shot down the second time, you're going, no one's going to believe this. I got to write this. I was wondering (laughs) about that. There's some great topics in the book, and I'm going to just start off right here. Max, how do you define leadership? There's probably a thousand books, maybe a thousand, thousand written on leadership. There are also a lot of books written on character and leadership and character. So we have a thing at uh, the Academy called the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And we're continuing to study those two things and try to find out what makes good leaders uh, because they come from all different 
feels is not necessarily just leadership as a CEO of a major company. It's leadership of your family. It's leadership of uh, whatever you're involved in uh, philanthropic. So leadership is a tough one to define. It sounds like I'm evading your question. I'm trying not to. The first thing leadership comes from is you have to learn to lead yourself. You have to know how to discipline yourself, how to motivate yourself, how to uh, be able to express what your objectives are, and then to live with those. Lead yourself. Don't get off the track. Stay on the track. Okay. What did Yogi Berra say? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, you, you, you have to take one. You have to lead yourself in making those kind of decisions. So leadership first is there. Secondly, lead from behind. You don't get out in front of the people. You go with them and you lead by example. I'm with you. I will support you. I've got your back. You've got to know that. All right. And then leaders have to be decisive, which means view all of the issues, the problems, make the best decision you can, and then punch that decision forward with the people, letting them know, convincing them that it's worthwhile. They have to also benefit from it. There are a lot of ways to benefit from following a leader. Uh, One is self-satisfaction. I had the discipline. We accomplished the goal as a team, not just as an individual. So I think leadership involves a whole bunch of characteristics. And that's why the books are continually written and written and written. We've done studies. What makes cadets uh, from the military academies, which ones become generals and why? What separates those that retire? and, And this is not the negative thought. But those that retire as a lieutenant colonel or even as a colonel, what stopped them as leaders from moving into the general ranks, general officer ranks? Uh, I can't answer your question in in short words there, but pick up a few books and read them. And uh, people that have given you examples of their leadership. Tough question, Tony. No problem. And definitely pick up the book, The Harder I Fall, The Higher I Bounce by Max James. It's got some great topics in there. I'm going to pick one at random. Okay. I like, this. I like them all, but here's just at random. If you don't like your work, you probably don't do it very well. Yeah, let me give you an example. I'm on the farm, right? And I've been following two gray mules and, and plowing, and, and suddenly we get enough money, we buy an old tractor. And, of course, Dad drives the tractor most of the time, but I got a chance. So I'm out in the field, and I'm driving the tractor, and guess what? It stops. Now, I knew not much about tractors, but I cleaned the carburetor. I cleaned the spark plugs. I did everything I knew knew how to do, burning myself, reaching in there, and trying to hit it. Uh-oh, here comes Dad, bouncing an old pickup truck across those plowed fields, dusty. And I said, this cannot turn out very well. So. Dad gets there and he says, now what the heck is wrong? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I did it. And he said, get out of the way. And sure enough, about five or six minutes later, room, 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 the tractor's running just fine. He looks at me and he said, I want you to remember this. Get away from that wheelbarrow. You don't know much about machinery. So the point is, if you know how to fix a wheelbarrow, you're probably not going to do very well with mechanics. So my dad said to me, you don't like this farm very much, do you? 
And I said, Dad, I got to tell you, I hate it. I hate the work. I hate I, have, I don't like. He said, OK, I'm going to let you go. What? Yeah, you don't have to do this anymore. And I was 13 years old, I think, probably. And he said, uh, I said, uh, well, wait a second. Who's going to take my place? I mean, you need me. He said, put his finger in my chest. And he said, that's my problem. Don't you worry about it. Go to town and get yourself a job. The point being, okay, I wasn't very good at it. I didn't like it. And the result was what? I couldn't even get the tractor started. So the point you're making and the point there is if you don't like your job, you're probably going to know this is boring or I hate this instead of focusing on trying to do better and learn the skill. And so if you don't like what you're doing, my suggestion is look hard at yourself. What are the skills you have and what would you like to apply those skills to? And if you're not ready to make that quantum leap, then hone those skills, study, work on it, decide on, on the thing you want to do and study that. And then find another job. Quit screwing around with something you don't like to do. Max, I got to ask you, did you go to town and get, an, and get another job? I went to town. I pumped gas and cleaned windshields and oil. Then I became a, 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 a guy that uh, put your groceries in the sack, a sacker at the grocery store. I finally got a job at a men's uh, uh, a clothing store. Uh, at the time, it was just a kind of a junk store, and I sold socks and underwear and things like that. Dry goods store is the word I tried to look for. And I got promoted up to Main Street in Humboldt, Tennessee, to work up there. And then finally, uh, a haberdashery, a men's haberdashery, men's clothing store hired me. And I learned an awful lot about sales, and uh, I stayed in that job. And then I got invited to go to Washington, D.C. my senior year and became the administrative assistant to a congressman before I graduated from high school. And he said, how'd you like to have my job? And I said, yeah, that's really exciting. I like it up here. I'm chauffeuring senators around and whatnot, 17 years old. He said, okay, I'm a, if you want my job, you want to be a congressman, there's some things we got to do. You got to go to college. And I don't know if we can afford college. He said, first lesson in taking my job and becoming a congressman. The government will pay for anything. <laughs> so off we went to the military academy to shorten the story. That's quite amazing. And speaking of sales, it's, there's another topic in your book which some people are afraid to do, and that okay. is all, always be prepared to walk away from the negotiating table. Yeah, I learned that from the rich guy working for him. He would have sessions, people on his staff, down at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and he'd get two or three bungalows. And he'd have the lawyers and support staff negotiating for his benefit and their benefit. And he would walk in and uh, he would say, I understand we're having some problems in here, that we're negotiating and it isn't going anywhere. And maybe you guys are, are getting angry. He said, look, 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 we're not going to do that. It's not worth it. We're friends. And so here's the deal. Let's just go to lunch. Let's all leave uh, this bungalow and go somewhere and have lunch. The deal isn't that important that we would mess up friendships. And you know what most of the time would happen? They'd say, no, 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 wait a second. We can get through this. And so it was a good negotiating tool. But I saw him many times walk away from, from the table. He had drawn a line, and he would negotiate down to that line, and they didn't walk away from the table. 
Now, I'll give you one more example, Tony. Uh, I had a business and I had raised some money and was doing quite well. And I needed to raise some more money for expansion. And one of my investors was an auto dealer. Very clever, very sharp. I don't know how many dealerships he had. So I went into his office and I said, I need you know, to raise some more money. And here's the deal. And I'm starting to tell him all the wonderful things we were doing. And he said, OK, it sounds good. And he said, so bring me the paperwork and uh, I'll sign it. I said, I've got the paperwork right here. He said, that's one of the reasons I invest with you. You're always prepared. So anyway, I handed him the paperwork and he started to sign. And I kept talking about all the wonderful things that we were going to do. And here's what he said. He stopped signing those checks. And he said, Max, never sell past the close. You might say something that I hadn't thought of and that I don't like. And I said, well, wait a second. I, I'm not interested anymore if that's the case. He said, when I've said yes, you say, fine, and shut your mouth. Take the check and run to the bank and deposit it. <laughs> so walking away from the table at the right time is, has been important in my life. And, and there have been many times when I did just that. I'd say, I'm sorry, I can't go any further. And, and most of the time, it's over. Some of the times they say, oh, okay, well, fine, maybe we can go a little further. That is quite a good buyer with good character to actually tell you to shut up so he can finish writing the checks. Yeah, I don't you like that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and there's another point here that we don't know when to stop, and that is cutting your losses early. Yeah, well, let's go back to the auto dealer. That business failed, and he lost his investment. And there's another thing about I, it's an old saying, don't burn the bridges behind you. Uh, I go one step further. Not only don't burn the bridges behind you, but take your friends and business associates across the bridge with you. In this case, we stayed friends, this auto dealer and I, and he invited me to his house for a big cocktail party where he uh, was hosting Arnold Palmer, the golfer. And so that led to other things. Sometimes it's obvious that you need to walk away. Let's say you've got negotiations or a partnership or a dealing with someone and suddenly the press for them turns badly. You can get burnt by getting too close to the fire, can't you? And so that would be a good time to say, I'm not a part of this. I'm resigning. I'm breaking the partnership or whatever. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about learning from failure with Max James. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Channel. 
You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about learning from failure with Max James. And join my weekly newsletter, It's Really Short, and get news about our elite entrepreneurs right to your inbox. It's simple, informative. It's all about helping you take your business to the next level. Go to TonyDurso.com and click on the newsletter icon. And did I say it's short and to the point? Okay. And now back to the chat with Max. There's so much here to talk about, so much to share. Guys, you got to pick up this book. It's really good. Once again, we talked about Learning from Failure with Max James. And again, that's MaxJamesAuthor.com. Max, thank you for sharing entertaining enlightening and there's some we're laughing and joking and chuckling but these are some powerful topics i mean to fail is not something to laugh at yet you just you bounce higher that's all it's that's what it is and that's the biggest takeaway and i'm going to study this some more i just want to thank you so much this has been great oh it's my honor tony really was i enjoyed it as you can tell i like telling these stories and that's what the book is number one marketing uh is to be entertaining and then tell your story with a call to action. And you've done that for me, Tony. Thank you. The call to action is to read the book. <laughs> okay, everyone, you have your marching orders. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Tony. You so much. And here's an insider's brief about the disconnect at the top. Yep, that's right, a disconnect. There's a disconnect at the top for small business CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners. And for these last couple of years, CEOs have had two significant challenges and questions. Can you guess what they are? One, the CEOs are asking, who has my back? And two, they're asking, how can I have a greater sense of fulfillment in my business? Well, to tell us about this is Michael Seip, COO of the Strategic Advisor Board. And just for your info, the Strategic Advisor Board is a team of 10 small business CEOs. They've built a community and a network that partners with small business CEOs, such as you, and they help you mentor your company growth, develop custom strategies for your business, and help you rapidly grow your revenue using a time-proven model to align yourself to purpose and fulfillment on your way to $10 million and greater in annual revenue. Even if you weren't expecting $10 million a year in annual revenue, that's what their goal and their focus is. This is, this is very serious stuff. Michael Seip is their COO. Hi, Michael, and welcome. Hi, Tony. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad you're here to kind of explain this to us because when I think about it, the first thing that comes to my mind is CEOs kind of tend to feel alone at the top, especially in small businesses. Some of them think that they do everything themselves and that there's this disconnect. So why? Why does that happen? Why is there a disconnect? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. When they're alone at the top, it's because they typically don't have a board of directors like a corporation might have, or they don't have a team of a mentor that might be able to provide them the advice that's unique to their industry. So if they do find that, that's great. But one of the things that we've noticed is that there, are there tends to be a lot of investment in employees for professional development. And so it might be something along the lines of Lane Six Sigma for production and improving production. So you'll have a team of people that are trained and become Lane Six Sigma certified. And so it helps 
overall with the company, but it's invested directly into the employees. Uh, likewise, there can be leadership training so that the management teams not only are managing the organization, but they're actually leading the people to do the things that they really need to do and feel like they're included and part of the team. So that kind of investment that's going on in employees and in the company is pretty robust. We've seen that for a few decades now, but what we haven't seen is a lot of investment at the top for CEOs. And so they're starting to look around and go, hey, what about me? Like I can hire a coach, I can have a great coach, or I might have a mentor, but like there's a lot of teamwork going on in my company, but I'm not feeling as much right here at the top. So there's that element that's going on in terms of professional development. And then I think the other thing that's going on for, for companies that's kind of unique too is we've seen the pivot since COVID towards a lot more remote work. Well, that remote work, we're in this raging debate for the last six months of is everybody coming back to work or are we staying all remote? What kind of what does the hybrid workforce of today look like? And I think that to a degree, we're going to have a fair amount of remote work still going on. Yeah, it's going to ebb and flow, and each industry is going to be a little different, but there's a significant amount of remote work going on. Well, what, what's happened, the consequence of both of these things is that, especially in the remote work, when you think about this, the engaged CEO, when they're talking to their employees, they're usually going around and they're finding out what's going on with the company, but then they'll have that side talk about, hey, did you see the New York Mets pitching team? Like, wow, they've got a really awesome rotation this year. And so what does that do? That builds rapport with, with the company. And then what happens is the employees start sharing some information about the company that the CEO might not know about. And so that gets a greater sense of what's going on within the company. Well, it's now a disconnect because those remote employees aren't there. And so it's much more challenging and it contributes to this sense of feeling of, I'm not sure exactly what's going on all the time now with my company. And then who do I go to to get greater resources to make better decisions? What hasn't changed, of course, Tony, is the idea that CEOs are the ones that are ultimately responsible for the profitability and the growth of the company. That has not changed, right? We see that. But these two elements of, hey, everybody else is getting this great professional training, the development. I'm not. And so how am I supposed to grow? And then the other aspect of, and I don't have a finger on the pulse as much anymore like I used to. So those two elements have really created a challenge. And so that's where we recommend that you develop a team above you as a CEO to understand just what exactly the other options are. What kind of strategies can I employ as a business that I haven't been able to think of that other people who have years of experience might be able to be that sounding board or might be able to team with me and partner with me to be able to ensure that I'm making wiser decisions, that the choices that I'm making are ones that are going to be profitable for my company. In other words, they've got my back. And so that's the element that I think is so unique about today that's going on is that we have these two forces and they're kind of a subconscious kind of thing that people don't put a finger on right, right at the top. It's more of a subconscious thing. And, uh, and I think it's a very significant dynamic going on. 
You know, while you were saying this, I was in corporate America, believe it or not, for like 32 years. And back then was a little bit of a different environment. Perhaps there's some similarity now. What I'm, what I'm going to say is probably similar, but yet different from what you're, you're going into. And we're going to discuss a little bit more on these recommendations as well. But back then, is, it was like a poker game. The CEO wouldn't tell everything to the employees or, or subs or affiliates or agents. He was keeping them in his hand like a poker game. I write about this. But that CEO wants everybody to tell them everything that's going on but he doesn't turn around and include them in all the stuff. And that is kind of like a little bit of a, let's call it a reverse disconnect in a way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've seen that quite a bit, though I, I haven't been in corporate America for, to know what's going on with it too much. I hear what you're saying about this. And so now you're saying that the recommendation kind of also handles that point is to have a, a little group or a board or whatever that advises the seat. Right. Right, exactly. So we have masterminds, right? There's some really good masterminds we can be a part of, but uh, you and I have probably both been in masterminds where once you get to a certain size with 20 or more people in it, not all the problems can get solved in that short amount of time. We have we're busy people, and so not all those issues can be solved. So that's where building a network, a community, if you will, of either your subs, your partners, the people you can outsource to, and then up above, uh, that sort of expertise and mentorship that can provide that guidance. And especially if it's something where it's, it's, Hey, we've got my, our company's gotten to be pretty successful. We've kind of topped out here and, and, but I know there's more, how, how can we do more? That is a good lead into the next thing while you're saying this, I'm thinking, well, with all that's going on, what should we be focusing on right now? What, what would you recommend? Yeah, some of the things are not going to change. So as far as revenue goes, like if we're trying to grow revenue for the company and make it more profitable, the fundamentals still exist. You know, how are we bringing on customers? How are we bringing on clients? How are we fulfilling the delivery of those products or those services? What kind of customer referral process do we have? Those fundamentals do not change, uh, but they do need to stay in focus. And especially when you think about supply chain disruptions, rampant inflation, interest rates going up, loans being much more expensive. The ability to expand is much more challenging. So there's these, what I would call micro pivots that are needed to be able to adjust almost on the fly to the, the sort of more tumultuous world we're in right now. So I would say that, that those opportunities um, become much more viable when we continue focused on the basics but then looking for those other opportunities out there. And really, if we've leveraged that, that sort of upper management team for the CEO, then, then those other opportunities become available. And that's how we pivot uh, into a greater opportunities for growth of the company. You said something very interesting, micro pivot to deal with it. It's sort of like, you know, way back in the day, companies would, you know, 10, 15, 20-year strategies, you know, we're going to do this in 20 years. That's like so preposterous because things change so fast. And, and you've said it so nicely, Mike, be, learn and be able to micro pivot. And I'm thinking about this, maybe what you see down the line, maybe what's going on right now that we're not doing. I'm also thinking about, we also have to see to the performance of the company that it does well. We have to see that fulfillment is being done right. 
I'd like to drill down a little bit more into this and kind of uh, see what advice you may have on that. Yeah. So when we're a CEO, right, we're responsible for, like you said, the profitability and the growth of the company. But, but part of that too, that we've seen is this element of how do we personally and professionally develop our employees? And as a CEO, like, yeah, we can be more profitable in the revenue side, but it's also our own personal development as a CEO, because those micro pivots that we have done um, lead to greater opportunities. If we are thinking about the energy of a typical CEO, and when I say energy, I mean the emotions, the thoughts, and the actions that we take. If we're thinking like the world is coming at us and everything is so disruptive, we might not see those opportunities because we're myopically focused on the challenge at hand. When we are actually in a better place in terms of our mental state, then we actually are, have a broader, more divergent view. And when we have that divergent view, we see opportunities for partnerships, for joint ventures, for opportunities in the crisis space. And that's where I see a CEO really shining and, and doing well is when they have that sort of enlarged, higher, higher frequency energy of looking for opportunity. And there's a way to develop and grow that, obviously, but that's the tip that I would offer is, is really to grow. It's not just the money side. It's also the enlarged perspective to see those opportunities and be creative in those opportunities. Michael, where can we find out more information about the Strategic Advisor Board? It's very interesting what you guys do. Yeah, well, thank you, Tony. The, the website is strategicadvisorboard.com. A lot of information is there, but uh, just a rehash is that we're 10 CEOs who felt like it's not just a mentor that's needed, it's a team that's needed to help small business. And we love partnering and helping cover somebody's back so that they can then help grow. And so the strategicadvisorboard.com is the best place to find us. Quick comment on that, Michael. I didn't get at first when I looked over the information, I didn't get that it's a team assisting, though you've mentioned it a little bit. Okay. It takes a little time to get into my brain because I'm so used to coaches, consultants, but this is not the average thing. This is a team of CEOs. Is that right? That actually help based on their expertise. So it, as you, you were, we were spoke, speaking about uh, the mastermind, this is actually quite a, a profound uh, sort of a board because it's, it's not just one point of view that you get. You get, and, it's, and these are all CEOs that you get. So that really has to have much more, what, workability and assistance. I can see companies really doing very well if they, if they really work and get all that good information from uh, from your from the from the board. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's a diverse group of 10 people with a unique perspective all coming together and coming up with a one team solution rather than a one person solution. There's a big difference there. And is this run like a mastermind where a uh one of our entrepreneurs or business owners in the audience is this run like a mastermind style or you go from person to person and you get their input? Can you kind of run us into a little bit just a little snippet of how that works? It's a little more like a mastermind. Really what we do is we partner for two to three years and we are a results-based model, meaning like we don't get paid until we grow your revenue. So that takes a lot of pressure off 
And we're trying to turn the consulting model upside down by doing so to say, look, we're going to come together with a strategy, an overarching strategy for you. And we will all give our own inputs and present that to you as an entrepreneur to help scale and grow your company. But then along the way, as we were talking earlier, challenges come. So what are the micro pivots we need to do? And so we'll come together as a team and we'll identify what are those pivots we need to keep towards profitability and viability as a business. Okay, good. I had to go through it a few times and now it's, now it's sinking into my brain. Good. But it's profound. It's disruptive as well because you don't get paid until the revenue grows. That's, that's profound. That's great. It is. It is. It's, it's, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. I like that a lot. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this with us. And I hope that more of the CEOs and entrepreneurs in our audience take advantage of what you offer there at the Strategic Advisor Board. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure being on your show. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. Quite something, learning from failure with Max James. We talked about his backstory. We talked about Vietnam and back and forth into different business uh, structures and different business stories. We talked about getting shot down twice. And while I think I touched upon it just a little bit, when you get shot down once, you don't have to go back. But he went back. And I think that's because he has this burning purpose, this passion to help his fellow man and rescue those pilots that have been shot down out there. So I guess that really goes, uh, goes a long way. And it just shows the character that he is. And that's one of the things that the thread was underlined throughout this interview is just the kind of character he is. He wants to be successful. He doesn't quit no matter what failure he runs into or has. He bounces back better. I'm just so impressed with that. And I was surprised, but it wasn't until many, many years later that he wrote the book about being shot down twice. And a key part of this interview was the fear of failure, how to deal with it, how to come back. We talked about resilience, leadership. I love the tractor stories on the farm. If you don't like your work, you probably don't do it very well. Go find something that you're going to love and do well at. Great. And as well as some other great points, we've learned, we've heard these as entrepreneurs, but it's always good to get them from another level and get another story to understand how important it is. Always be prepared to walk away from the negotiating table. And I just love this. The richest man in the world says, hey, hey, we're friends. I want to keep your friendship. Let's go have lunch. Let's go take a break. This isn't worth it. When have you done that? That's important. Cut your losses early. Don't sell past the close. Don't burn any bridges behind you. All sorts of great stuff. Just love it. Go check him out. Go buy his book. And please remember supporting this show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any Apple device, you have Apple Podcasts free. Just go navigate to the Tony D'Urso Show. I thank you kindly for saying something nice about the show. And this is the biggie. Please share this with a few friends and help them too, all right? Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.